Good morning. How are we this morning? My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and it is really good to be with you this morning. We are full on into the holiday season, are we not? You guys have a good Thanksgiving? We decorated for Christmas. We are full on in. And the holiday season can be a bit crazy at times, right? What used to be generations ago, kind of a time of rest and all of that kind of a downtime has turned into something that is full of events and parties and get-togethers and travel and all that. So I want to talk to you today about something that I think will help with that. It's actually a bigger issue than just the holidays, though. It's a huge issue that we as a culture and a time deal with, which makes it a huge area of potential growth and opportunity. We live in a time and in a culture that is just going, 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 right? Gotta go, gotta be, gotta do, gotta get my kids from A to B, I gotta get this done, gotta go talk to this person, gotta get up at 4 a.m. to get all of it done. When can we get our families together to hang out? I don't know, like 12 months from now? We are a culture that is addicted to busyness. And it's distracting and exhausting. And from my view, obnoxious, is it not? Let me ask you a question. How often do you lay your head on your pillow at night, exhausted because of all you've done from sunup to midnight, and yet you can't sleep. Why? Because you're thinking about all that you have to do tomorrow. You're looking at the clock and you're going, I only have five or six hours to sleep. But you're paralyzed by the reality that today's finish line has become tomorrow's starting line with no break in between. And we do it again and again and again and again. And it's exhausting until I catch myself complaining about how busy I've chosen to be. Until I finally force myself to take a beat, to take a, a break. But my break doesn't last long because in that moment of exhale, I say something like, ah, it's just a season. It's just a season. It'll get easier next week. We can rest this weekend. It'll get easier after, after the holidays. It'll get better when they're older. And then we jump right back into the busyness that just a moment before was absolutely crushing us, right? Are there seasons? Absolutely, like a new baby or a new job or a move to a new place, but seasons have no effect on this. You know how I know that? Because retired people say the same thing as young adults. And young adults say the same thing that middle-aged adults say, and middle-aged adults say the same thing that parents of young kids say, and people with no kids say the same thing as people with kids. And, and you ask them, hey, how's it going? And they go, Busy. It's just, it's good. It's just busy with fill in the blank. Soccer, kids, grandkids, remodeling the kitchen, traveling, volunteering, work, school, whatever it is. You look at all of our stuff, it's all the same, no matter the season of life. Or my favorite one, busy with vacation. Busy with vacation. I'm busy getting ready for a vacation. Busy because I just went on a vacation. Or you say, how'd your vacation go? And they go, it was really good. It was just a little, 
busy. I'm like, you're doing it wrong. That's not, that's not the way vacations work. Our calendars are all full. Our stress level is the same despite our season of life. The pace of our life is exhausting, distracting. More than that, it's damaging. Family destroying. And I think it may even be damning. So I want to talk to you about it today. Listen, this is me. Um, my, my wife, Erin, and I, we have six kids from the ages of five to 12, I'm pretty sure. And it's busy in our household. And I know what you're thinking, like, Jake, like, that's a cause and effect situation. Like, you know, the more seed equals the more crop. And I, I get that. But my, my six came a different way. Like, we moved back to Abilene. We're from here. We moved back to Abilene in January. And we had three kids when we moved back, all right? So multiplication. Now, what happened is that we, before we moved back, we had a heart for fostering and, and helping kids in crisis and, and orphans, just like the Bible teaches all of us to be a part of helping orphans and, and all of that. We were already doing that where we were before. So we started to get licensed as soon as we got here. And while we were still getting licensed here in Texas. We got a call about a sibling group of three uh, that were in need of a home, and they had been in foster care uh, their whole lives mostly, but uh, they had just become orphans. And so we prayed, and we asked for counsel from our, our mentors and our godly friends and people who lead us, and, and we said yes. And then boom, we went from three to six overnight. We went from a family of five to a family of eight, and I had to buy to my shame, one of those huge monster cargo vans, but for children. You know what I'm talking about? Like it looks like you're carrying a bunch of stuff, but it's just kids back there. That's, I had to buy one of those. My, all six of my kids are awesome, but man, it is busy in our household. We, we've never done a lot of sports. We've always said, hey, you got to choose one activity, one main sport or thing a year, each kid. And we've always done, you know, made sure that we had meals together as a family every night. And we've always tried to be really intentional. But even with the most intentional parenting, when you've got six kids, it just gets busy. Like, you want to know what hell feels like? No? Okay, I'll just move on. No. You want to know what hell feels like? It's six kids asking you for help on their homework at the same time when you're trying to put dinner on the table. That is hell, I'm pretty sure. It's not that bad, actually, but we call it the witching hour, right? The hour right before, right when they get back from school, right before we get dinner on the table. It's crazy in our household. Lots of spelling words and math problems and fights to break up and things I gotta deal with and lots of laundry. Laundry just keeps coming and coming and coming and lots of dishes and, and we got teacher conferences and doctor appointments and we got games to go watch and we got all this different stuff and we're trying to prioritize one-on-one -on -one time with each of of them once a month and that just gets crazy and there's a lot of mom this and dad this and he hit me and she should have hit you and I don't know it just gets absolutely crazy I'm not I haven't even talked about marriage that's just parenting I haven't talked about loving my wife first and leading her closer to Jesus and dating my wife or, or my job and my my calling as a pastor in ministry man it just if I'm not careful, 
All of this, these are not bad things, right? That's my point. They're not bad things. All of these good things, except for laundry, that's evil. But all of these good things can pile up and cause a big problem. Busyness. I mean, I kind of felt like we may learn to slow down because we were kind of forced to during COVID, right? But is anybody feeling that? I mean, it feels like we're just right back where we were. You feel it. Busyness is an epidemic in our culture, and I'm just concerned that if we don't make a change in the pace of our lives, if we don't make a drastic change in the amount of stuff we try to fit into each of our days, if we don't take very seriously this whole thing, then at the very end of our lives, we may have a lot of activities to point back to. We may be able to point back to a lot of trophies and, and pictures of, of teams. And we may, may be able to point back to a lot of Instagram stories and Facebook posts about season starting and concerts and plays. You may even be able to point back to a, a lot of accolades and awards from, your, from the place you work at your retirement party. But... My fear is that in the midst of all of that, our souls and the souls we've been given, the little souls we've been given to shepherd will be in shambles, disconnected from each other and disconnected from the God who loves them and made them. So here's the truth I want you to consider today. Busy is the enemy of blessing. At the end of each of our services, a pastor will stand up and he'll say a blessing over us. We'll put our hands like this and we receive this ancient blessing from, from the Old Testament. And it's to receive, but also to give out. We say all the time that we're about helping people take their next steps towards Jesus so that we can bless our neighbors, so that they can bless their neighbors. And so it's about receiving a blessing and giving a blessing out. And, and busy is the enemy of all that. It gets in the way of receiving a blessing and giving it out because busy st steals my time. Busy robs my family of me. It robs us of each other. Busy keeps me disconnected and confused and distracted. Unable to follow what God wants me to do. Unable to focus on what God wants me to focus on. And if I if I just stop for a second and think about it, I would agree. But oftentimes I'm too busy to stop and consider how busy I am, right? And if I actually do get a moment, like maybe today's your moment, if I actually do get a moment to think about it, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And for a lot of us, that's a no thank you situation. To be honest, sometimes man, I'll run from conviction because it, it kind of hurts. Because it means that I've done something wrong. And I've got to admit it. Maybe something wrong for my whole life. Conviction is difficult. And so we, we run from that and we find a, you know, a pithy meme to share on Facebook that tells us the opposite. Or a false prophet to whisper in our ears. That no, 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 no. Everything's fine. You're, you're okay. And we move on. And yet... We all want blessing, right? I mean, we want God to bless us. We want spiritual blessing, emotional blessing. You want material and financial blessing. All those things are good. You should want blessing. It's natural, but we're missing out because of how busy we are. 
If there's a verse that really encapsulates where we are as a culture and a time, I think it's Jeremiah 2.25. In Jeremiah 2, God is talking to the people of Israel and telling them about their sin, that they're running from God to God to God, false God to false God to false God, false God away from him. And, and it's, it's really kind of heavy and it's never fun for God to tell us about our sin, right? Kind of hurts. But he does it because he loves us. The Bible's clear about that. And so I want you to see kind of what he says. In the midst of that, God says this in 225 and how the message puts it. He goes, just slow down. Take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I can't quit. We're running from activity to activity to activity, especially in the holidays, project to project to project, promotion to promotion to promotion. And I feel like God's just going, what are you after? Why are you running? What's the hurry? We're addicted to activity, to a full calendar. God forbid we sit still. We're so scared of boredom and we have this huge FOMO thing, this fear of missing out that we don't realize that what we're actually missing out on because of our busyness is what our heart actually longs for, the blessing of God. We've bought into the lie that activity is always good, but activity is not the same as progress. Let me say it this way. Movement... Moving is not the same as moving forward. Listen, if you want to get your heart rate up and burn some calories, you can get on a treadmill and run as long as you want. But if you want to actually get from where you are to somewhere else, a treadmill isn't going to do you any good. Because moving is not the same as moving forward. Let me show you what I mean in the Bible. There's this awesome book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes written by the wisest man to ever live at the time, King Solomon. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend reading it. But what's happening in Ecclesiastes is that King Solomon is kind of doing this huge, massive experiment to answer this question. He wants to answer the question, what will bring the most fulfillment, satisfaction, blessing out of life? How can I get the most there is to get out of life? That's his question. So that's what Ecclesiastes is all about. He's like a scientist doing an experiment and he gives himself over to all these different pursuits in life that you and I get caught up in and he tells us, is it worth it? Does it, does it work? Does it bring blessing? I wanna show you this. We're gonna jump through it quickly, but it opens like this in verse two. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The NIV says it this way, meaningless, Meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow. Thank you, Solomon. This is a great intro to this book. It's like, you all right, Solomon? Like, you need, you need a hug or something? You need, like some, you need some, some chocolate to make you feel better? That makes me feel better. Meaningless? Like, everything is meaningless? Are you sure? Look at the next few verses. They'll be sure to cheer you up. Verse three. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? 
A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around the wind goes, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes not satisfied with seeing. The ears filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Good grief, Solomon. Are you okay? I mean, it seems like he's got a serious case of the Eeyores here, doesn't it? He's like, it's meaningless. The sun goes up and the sun goes down. The streams flow, but the sea's not full. There's nothing new. You can't affect any of it and you won't be remembered. There's no cake, there's no ice cream. Happy birthday. He goes, listen, you're busy toiling going from thing to thing to thing, building and amassing and doing as if it matters. Does it matter? It's meaningless. There's no blessing there, Solomon says. But Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. So we can't just chalk this up to like Solomon's no good, very bad, terrible day, however that goes. We can't, we can't do that, right? We have to actually listen to it. But it doesn't get any better from this. This is just his intro. For 12 chapters, this is what he's saying over and over and over. Solomon goes, let me prove this to you. And then he starts with knowledge. He goes, maybe knowledge will bring fulfillment and blessing. Maybe gaining knowledge is where satisfaction is. And it says this in verse 14 of chapter 1. He goes, I've seen everything that's done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. So no, knowledge isn't it, Solomon says. He goes, no fulfillment, no blessing. But he goes, maybe it's self-indulgence, like pleasure. He had the most money of anybody you've ever heard of. So he went after anything that brought pleasure. And here's what it says in 2.11. He goes, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, meaningless, and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Nope. Pleasure, isn't it? Then he goes, what about living wisely? Like that seems like it'll be it, right? Being prudent. And so he does that, but then he finds that oftentimes the same things happen to the foolish as to the wise. And so he says this in, in verse 17, he goes, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity, meaningless, and a striving after the wind. So no, it's not living wisely. You'd think that would be where blessing is found, but he goes, no. Solomon then turns to work, which is where a lot of us turn, toil, labor. Is there blessing and fulfillment to be found in working really, really hard all the time in order to see something come to fruition? 2.22, he goes, What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Spending your life on work is vanity. It's meaningless, Solomon says. 
And then chapters 5 and 6, he just, he goes after wealth and honor. And he gets it. He's the wealthiest, most honored person in the entire world at the time. And then he says this in verse 7 of chapter 6. He says, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Still, there's no satisfaction. Then verse 11, the more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives in the, the few days of his vain life? Thank you, Solomon. Which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So Solomon, he does all this activity. He goes after all these different things. He goes after knowledge and work and pleasure and money and honor and status. And he gets it all. And at the end of it, he goes, none of it matters. It's meaningless. It's vanity. It's like trying to catch the wind. Have you ever tried to catch the wind? Me neither, but I figure it would be pretty hard. It doesn't satisfy. And this is why. It's because movement and meaning aren't the same thing. Movement and meaning, they're just, they're not the same thing. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? But in a lot of ways, this is us. There's this drumbeat going loud in our ears. Telling us we got to go, 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 go and strive after the wind. Things that do not satisfy. We're striving and our days are full of stuff, but we can't even be at the stuff and enjoy the stuff because our minds are already on the other stuff that we're going to do, right? And it just keeps going and going and going, this never-ending journey to catch the wind, and it's, it's devastating to our souls. It's devastating to our families. Movement without meaning. Moving, but not moving forward towards anything. Earlier I showed you this verse in Jeremiah 2 where God just says, slow down, take a breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I can't quit. I don't know about you, but I can easily become addicted to the alien god of activity, movement. This is me in Jeremiah chapter 2. I am a driven, take the hill, do the hard thing, work, work, work type of a guy. I was like that before I had one kid, much less before I had six kids. I've always been like that. And so I've always had to be very, very careful about the amount of stuff that I allow into my life. I've had to be careful about taking a Sabbath. I've had to be careful about daily rhythms that help me rest in the Lord and put my time in the things that really matter. And here's the thing. I'm probably not going to be the greatest golfer because of it. Like, I'm probably not going to get to go hunting every weekend of hunting season like my soul desperately longs for. And, like, I had to sell my truck, or I'm selling my truck, and I like my truck, but it only seats six, and now I have eight people. And so I have to buy, a, like, a Suburban that seats eight or a people mover, van, you know, bus to fit us all. But Suburbans cost as much as houses, so that's not happening. But anyways, 
had to give up the truck, right? And I, and I thought about this the other day. I realized I hadn't played, I hadn't sat down and played guitar and sang in my house for like months. I used to do that like four or five times a week. So guitar, truck, golf, hunting, these, these aren't bad things, right? I would dare say they're awesome things. But I've just learned I've got to be careful what I let into my life because I have this tendency to run after activity. This is me in Jeremiah chapter 2. But look at what God says like just, just before that in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. He says this. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God's saying, I am the source of your refreshment. I am the source of your life and your blessing. And you've not only left me, but you've also decided that you can create other sources of life and blessing, that you can dig out for yourself other sources of life and blessing. They were looking for satisfaction and fulfillment and blessing in things other than God himself. They thought as long as they were digging cisterns, finding some water, then they were okay. But in actuality, the water was poisoned and it was killing them. But they kept moving and kept going and kept digging from cistern to cistern to cistern, from false God to false God to false God. And I know that when I say false God, some of us kind of check out because I don't bow down to statues. I get that. But in my pursuit of busyness and a full life and my addiction to activity, it's so easy for my satisfaction and my fulfillment for me to try to find those things in what I create instead of in God. And listen, beloved, this is a big deal because as I go from thing to thing to thing, as I go from activity to activity to activity, false God to false God to false God, as I do that, as I take my family and I do that, my soul gets thirsty. And because I've wandered so far from God, I can't go back and I can't get the, the fountain of living water. And so I start digging wherever I'm at to fulfill, to satisfy my thirst and quench my thirst. And I dig and I dig and I dig and I find water and it may give me some momentary satisfaction and feel like the real thing, but it's poisoned. And you wanna know the bigger travesty? The bigger travesty is I'm not alone in the desert digging for poison water. My wife is with me and she's drinking what I dig up and she's helping me dig and my kids and grandkids are here and they're learning how to dig for poison water in the desert. Listen, I, I, I get that there's not a lot of us saying this stuff. Like I get when you go and tell somebody what I talked about today, nine times out of 10, that person is gonna say, oh, you're good. Nah, God knows your heart. You'll, you'll be fine, right? I'm well aware that I can toss a stone in any direction 
and hit somebody who will be accommodating to a busy lifestyle. I get that. But here's the thing. They were doing the same thing in Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, it was happening the same way. Jeremiah, God was telling through Jeremiah that they were addicted to these gods and, and they were going from God to God to God and digging out cisterns that would not satisfy. And every time Jeremiah told them the truth that they were doing this and that God was going to judge them, every single time he opened his mouth, another prophet would pop up and go, no, you're okay. You're okay, don't listen to Jeremiah. He just had a bad day. God doesn't want to judge you. God loves you. You're doing great. It happened over and over and over in Jeremiah. You can check it out yourself in Jeremiah chapters 14, 23, and 28. But in the end, those prophets die. And the people who listen to them die too. Because they're drinking poison water. So, man, what do we do? I got to show you something. In Ecclesiastes, it's this awesome verse in, Ecclesi in Ecclesiastes. So Solomon does this huge experiment. He goes through all these different things, these different pursuits, trying to find true blessing and true fulfillment, all there is to get out of life, and he doesn't find any of it, and it's all meaningless. And if you stop there, it's depressing. But if you keep going, at the end, he comes to a resolution. He actually solves the problem. It's Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He goes, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. That's the whole duty of man. You want to know what you're supposed to do as a parent? Fear God and keep his commandments. You want to know what you're supposed to do as an employee or as a business owner? Fear God and keep his commandments. You want to know what you're supposed to do as a husband or a wife or a grown son or a grown daughter? Fear God and keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. As a man, a woman, a leader, a doctor, a teacher, fear God and keep his commandments. This constant going, 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 this busyness. It's the enemy of blessing. What God is saying is that he's the source. In other words, fear God and keep his commandments. He's the source. He's the source of blessing. He's the source of, of life and of satisfaction and fulfillment. It's the whole duty of man. Just come to God. Everything else is just a mirage. Just a shadow. Just a trick and a distraction. This kind of reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He goes, come to me, all who, are la who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, if you're burning out, exhausted, because you're going from thing to thing to thing, activity to activity to activity, and maybe you don't feel it every day, but a couple times a year, every year, you kind of get overwhelmed, and you kind of got to get somewhere else because you're so stressed out. If, if that's you, listen, you are carrying something that God has not designed you to carry. But I got to do all this stuff or I'll lose all my friends. 
I gotta do that. I can't tell my, my, my kids no to three or four or five travel sports or they'll get mad. I can't, I can't tell them no to this, this sport or this band thing or this activity or this extracurricular thing because, because those things are so good for them. I can't say no to the PTA. They need me. I can't say no to the teachers. They need me. I can't say no to the promotion and the more responsibility and the travel and all that because I need to move up. I can't say no to the new boat or the new hobby or the new house or the remodel because those are such good opportunities. I have to carry this. We have to carry this. My kids have to carry this. It's just the way it is. Jesus goes come here just just come here I I didn't give you that Just, just come here lay all that down find your rest in me I'm I'm the fountain of living water. Stop digging those wells. It's poison water anyway. Find your rest in me. Come here. Bring your family. Bring your friends. Bring your kids. Just stop digging that well and come here. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Just come here. Beloved, I'm, I'm telling you all this today because, not because I want to beat you up, but because of all that we're missing out on. I just feel like we're missing out on so much because of busyness. We miss out on the blessing and fulfillment that we really want. So what do we do? What do we do? Man, we do everything we can to bring ourselves, our family, our friends to Jesus as often as we can because nothing else satisfies. So let me, let me end with just this last thought. What, what are you too busy for? Like we've talked about why you're too busy and what you're doing while you're busy and why I'm busy. But what are we, what are we too busy for? Like are we too busy to worship Jesus together? as a family, daily, weekly, monthly? Are your kids too busy to get plugged into youth ministry on a weekly basis every Wednesday night? Are you too busy for a walk, a deep conversation? Are you too busy to have family dinner together every night? Are you too busy to take your kid or grandkid out for a donut and talk about life and faith like once a month? Are you too busy to get into the word every day? Too busy to pray? What, what are you too busy for? Are you too busy for unscheduled, unhurried family time on a regular basis? Too busy to help the poor, those in need? Answer that question. What am I too busy for? What if we kind of flip the script on this? What if I was too busy Spending time with God. Too busy being still. Choosing quality time with my family over just quantity time. Too busy 
serving the poor together as a family regularly, too busy being plugged in to the local church in a meaningful way, too busy with all the stuff that Solomon came down to, fear God and keep his commandments. What if I was too busy fearing God and keeping his commandments that I, that I couldn't, I didn't have time for activity? Movement for movement's sake and the pursuit of everything that society says I should be running after. Listen, the holidays are upon us, right? Christmas is right around the corner, so how will you celebrate Jesus this Christmas? Busy is the enemy of blessing and you are the only one filling your calendar. So slow down and choose wisely. Let's do this. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Listen, some of us, some of you, you're really good at this. You don't have a busy problem like two of you, maybe one of you. I don't know. There's not very many, but maybe you're just knocking this out of the park. That's awesome, man. Thank God for that. And would you just pass on your wisdom to us? Um, Would you pray for us? But if if you're not knocking this out of the park and you're sitting here going, yeah, maybe, maybe there's something to this. You're saying it's not nothing. If you would say today, like, I at least need to consider this. At least need to pray about it. At least need to read about it. I re- at least need to kind of consider it. It's not, it's not nothing. If that's you, then I just want to lead us to, to a decision, to a response. And, he, and here's the ask. Would you commit to just talking to somebody who you're relationally closest to, like your spouse or your parents or your brother or your sister or your friend, whoever it is, would you just commit just to talking to them, just to having a conversation and going, hey, is this a thing in my life? Can you speak into my life? Can we, can we wrestle through this? Can we get our calendars out and try to figure this out? Can we figure out if, if I'm losing out on blessing because of my busyness? So if you, if you would just commit today just to, just to have a conversation with somebody you love about this, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Yeah, I see those hands all over the place. Just keep them up. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you, God, that your word is both timeless and timely, that it's timeless in the sense that it doesn't change, but it's timely in the sense that we can get together and read Ecclesiastes and it can change us. And so thank you for that. Thank you that even in your correction of us and your discipline towards us, you are so good. God, I just pray that you would speak to us and that this this message, whatever was from you, God, that it would stick with us. It wouldn't be quickly forgotten, that it wouldn't be drowned out by other voices and other noise, but that we we would really consider this and ask you the hard questions. Speak to us. May we be a people who fear God, and we be a people who fear you and obey your commandments. We love you, Jesus. I ask also for those in this room who have never given their life over to you. Their life is full of everything but you because they have yet to fully follow you. I pray that today is the day that they give their life over to you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do the miraculous work that only you can do in saving their souls right now in this moment. I pray for boldness to pray a prayer to say, God, I need you. 
I don't even know where to start with this busyness stuff because I don't have you in my life. I pray, God, for that in this moment right now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said, amen.